My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. Today, I lost a patient. Jean Baptiste was a sweet six year old boy who today should be playing with other children his age. He died of HIV. At least that's what his death certificate would show. The virus invaded his body, overwhelmed his immune system, and wasted away his body's defenses until he was open to deadly infections. This is the toll that untreated HIV takes on the body. But aside from the dry medical description, his death is much more complicated, and I'm going to try to unpack it. It was another Thursday at the Los Moon Clinic. Thursdays are my favorite days. Every Thursday, we have our clinic for severely malnourished children. Only those who meet strict criteria enter, and we generally see them every week for months until they meet criteria for a cure. One of our best community health workers, Miss Yancey, had been telling me for the last week that she had found an extremely sick boy and was trying to convince his mother to bring him in. On this day, we were weighing patients to get the day started when Miss Yancey brought him forward with his mother. John Baptiste was thin, very thin, and abnormally quiet, with the drawn face that young children with severe malnutrition have. He sat silently with his mother to see me. Eventually, after I finished with some other patients, we sat together. John Baptiste was in the 0.1 percentile for weight for height. And John was older, six years old. Usually when we see children with severe malnutrition, they're under two years of age, and almost all of them are under five. As we talked, his mother explained that John had been losing weight for the last year. It was clear from the examination that John was severely malnourished, beyond all the other children that day. Miss Blanchard, the head of our nutrition programming, and I discussed his case. We agreed we needed to hospitalize him. Unfortunately, Miss Blanchard sat with the mother, and the mother told us that going to the hospital was not possible. She had two other children at home, and she could not leave them to stay with John in the hospital. She was new to her community, and she didn't know any neighbors who could help her. Unlike in the United States, if a child is hospitalized in Haiti, an adult must stay with them 24-7. There are not enough nurses to provide full care, and the parent is needed to fill in the gaps. No matter what suggestions we had, we could not get around that one simple fact. He would need to be treated outpatient by us. So we started our usual process, which is to send John to the lab to get a free HIV and syphilis screen while I finished up with the other patients. 30 minutes later, Miss Thomas, one of our lab technicians, came and pulled me into a room. John Baptiste had HIV. This was the first child I'd seen with the virus, but this explained his late presentation, why he was losing weight for the last year. She had already called the health department to come and see him. Since my time in Haiti, I've been impressed with the nation's HIV AIDS program. While the country still has a relatively high rate of HIV, about 2% of the population, this is an order of magnitude lower than other countries like South Africa that lead the world in infections. Over recent years, Rates of new cases in Haiti have fallen due to the commitment of the health department and help from the United States. Whenever a case is identified at our clinic, the local health department dispatches their own health worker immediately to escort the patient to a dedicated clinic to begin treatment. And yet, even in systems that function well, some patients slip through the cracks. Ms. Thomas led me into the laboratory where John was sitting with his mother. The mother was having an excited conversation with the laboratory staff. As it came out, Miss Thomas had treated the mother before for HIV. Now, certainly, this was not surprising that the mother had HIV. With a child John's age, it's almost certain that he caught HIV during birth or from breast milk from his mother. However, what was a surprise to me 
was that his mother had HIV and had made no mention of it being a possibility for John and that she was no longer in treatment. As we sat with the mother, the story came out. As she talked, Jean sat silently next to me, and I held his hand. She had been in treatment in the past, but she had gone to a church and had been taught that she didn't actually have HIV. It was actually the devil that was making her sick. The pastor had prayed, and she had been cured. So naturally, she had stopped taking her medications. Beliefs like this are widespread with HIV across the world. I don't understand it, but I have to imagine that the fear and stigma of being positive can push people to do anything to avoid the shame. In HIV, we can manage patients with just one or two pills per day, and then they can have no other issues with HIV. But so often, I find that patients want a definitive cure to avoid being categorized by the illness. In other countries, rumors circulate, some leaders even telling HIV-positive men to have sex with virgins to cure the disease. Now, obviously, this leads to even more spread. Now, we asked John's mother to re-enter treatment, but we didn't push too hard. Our priority now was John, and we could not risk destroying our relationship with his mother. We decided to work on her slowly. We told her that we would treat John for malnutrition at the same time that he received medications for the virus from the health department. Miss Carmel, the original founder of the health clinic, had done this for many children with HIV in the past. By the time we finished talking, the health worker from the health department came and whisked John and his mother away. Then I saw John the next week. He was being seen at the health department, so we focused on his malnutrition. And then, after that, nothing. For two weeks, we didn't see him. Usually, if a child doesn't come, we call the family or a neighbor, but John's mother didn't have a cell phone, and she had told us that she didn't know the phone number for anyone around her. To make matters worse, John lived in an exceedingly dangerous area. One of our health workers had been threatened in a similar neighborhood while visiting a child. Yesterday, Miss Blanchard, Miss Yancey, and I sat down to discuss what to do about John. I asked Miss Yancey if she could go try and find the child. I told her not to take too many risks, and if the area was too hot, she should turn around immediately. But we knew what was at risk. If we lost track of John, we would not only lose him, but we needed to test his other two siblings for the virus as well. This was a family in crisis. Today I got the call. Miss Yancey had just visited John's house. John died this morning. His body was still at home, his mother embarrassed to bring his body out. Miss Yancey told me that she had sat with his mother and asked her what happened. His mother said that she wanted to come to the program, but she was alone and no one could watch the two infants while she took him to the clinic. And the mother, as she had with herself, did not believe John had the virus. She said that simply the devil had eaten him. What had actually killed John? Was it the virus? Was it the pastor who told his mother that she was cured of the disease? Or was it John's father who had abandoned the family and left John's mother with no childcare if she took him to the hospital? I would argue that it was not primarily the virus. We have medication in most countries, including Haiti, that can allow HIV patients to live normal lives. I often say that living with controlled HIV is much easier than having diabetes. That is, if you take out the social implications in the stigmatization. It's important to note that John's mother felt that she had no one to watch the children in her community. she just moved. We can't know this, and this is all speculation, but it is not unlikely at all that she had moved because she was a social outcast from her affliction, forced to care for her small family by herself. When John's mother said that the devil had eaten John, in a way, I think she was right. HIV 
and just as importantly, the accompanying inaccurate beliefs and social implications and stigmatization devour 300 children across the globe every day. And in the span of a few weeks since I first met him, John had died, joining the group of nameless young victims that had preceded him. And we mourn for John, but at the same time, we take comfort knowing that Haiti and its government have taken significant steps in preventing these outcomes. HIV is taken seriously. As hard as it was to see, a situation like this is rarer than it once was. And that means that in the future, we will lose less children. Thank you for listening. We would like you to know that we are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a fascinating history. And there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you and God bless.